back, Blockheads. Episode 19 here. Today, we're talking about the environment. This one's going to be a little shorter, a little more digestible. No lightning round questions today. Just going to be Kevin and I speaking about one of the he- uh, things that is still making a lot of headlines, um, the environmental concern surrounding blockchain, mining, the support of cryptocurrencies. Um, are NFTs worth it relative to the damage to the environment? These are the big questions we're going to tackle today on this pointed episode of the New Blocks. Kevin, my friend, welcome back. How are we? Doing well. Always good to be back here. Love my uh, Professor Kevin episodes. These are these are why I'm here. I, uh, I wanted to talk about this one we we got a chance very briefly in the nfts episode to kind of like uh dig into this a tiny bit but i mean this is something that i hear about from friends and and crypto critics uh pretty consistently um and there's a lot of misinformation around uh the electrical consumption of bitcoin the environmental environmental impacts of nfts um and i wanted to make sure that we had a moment just to kind of put together a concise uh, conversation here. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think there's also some important fundamental aspects that are worth reiterating. Uh, we touched on some of this stuff in our proof of work episode, I think, or what was it a consensus? A consensus? That was it. The consensus yep. episode. And uh, we're going to rehash some of that. So, um, let's, let's dive right in. Maybe we should start with a couple stats about how much energy we're actually talking about here. Yeah, so uh, doing a little bit of research into this, uh, the Cambridge Electrical Consumption Index uh, is probably worth pulling up on the screen if you can. Um, this is basically uh, kind of a, a decent view of the electrical consumption of Bitcoin um, and talks about a few different uh, a few different metrics. Uh, right now, roughly in uh, 2021. Bitcoin is using up about 100 terawatt hours per year uh, consuming consuming electricity to power the Bitcoin network. Uh, and for some kind of a, a an idea of what that means, uh, that is roughly 0.5% of global electricity production uh, or more electricity than the Philippines. And this is just Bitcoin, right? This is not all cryptocurrency. This doesn't include Ethereum and all these other side chains. This is yeah. just Bitcoin. So this is uh, this is the big one, right? This is our our leader, so to speak. Um, but yeah, that's that, that's a lot of power. I mean, that that yeah, is I, that's more than a country, as you said. Yeah, it's it's a lot of power, and I think that that's really what brings about these conversations: is how how much energy is too much energy. Um, yes, we're building a new financial system, but how does it compare to our existing financial system and you know is it worth it these are the sorts of questions we should be asking ourselves um just to give kind of another relative uh idea of similar uh consumption ethereum consumes about 74 terawatt hours as opposed to bitcoin's 100 so a bit less um but keep in mind ethereum does power the entire ethereum ecosystem it it uh, its consensus mechanism secures all of the cryptocurrencies that exist on top of it. So that talks about 
essentially like take this number and then figure out what that means given all of the nfts that exist um you know right. all of DeFi and any other cryptocurrency that has been built off of ethereum kind of can get pushed down into this number yeah definitely um but top of the iceberg here i i think i always like to acknowledge at the beginning of this conversation that um this is like sort of an imperfect aspect of blockchain and cryptocurrency right like at the end of the day we are solving arbitrary cryptographic puzzles for the sake of them being arbitrary so that you have to burn power electricity computing power use expensive hardware to do that 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 is by design right and the reason that that has to happen is because of the proof of work consensus mechanism you have to put something up there has to be some collateral that you put up and that you risk to get a reward when new bitcoins are minted uh with each block right um that that's like a really key part of the distribution aspect that allows this whole thing to be decentralized if there's no collateral that gets put up you're sort of just giving monopoly money to your friends willy-nilly. You're just airdropping them to anybody that signs up. There has to be some, some blockage there, some blockade that um, forces people to make an investment and assume some risk to get those Bitcoins as a reward. Did I explain that right, Kevin? Yeah, you explained that right. So essentially, a miner needs to burn some amount of electricity uh, and in order to solve these cryptographic puzzles, uh, and then if in order to uh, propose a new block to the network, uh, they have to prove that they've burnt this. And then if that block includes any fraudulent transactions, all of the other miners will just reject it. And that miner will have wasted their time and energy uh, burning that. So the idea here is that you have this, this trust collateral in the form of electricity that you can uh, sort of like wager um, and ensure that the incentives are aligned between the miners and the overall network. So that's um, but, the basic incentive that makes the whole system trustless is that it's very expensive to try to put bad information into the network that's highly likely to be rejected by the network. So you're just losing money. It's a, that's uh yeah. Without yeah. that mechanism, it would be too easy for people to try to manipulate the network and send bad information to it. Yeah. And it's worth understanding why Satoshi chose proof of work when creating Bitcoin, right? Because uh, in the consensus episode, we talked about other alternatives, but prior to this, the only consensus mechanism was what Satoshi built. Um, and so proof of work itself uh, was actually invented prior um, with the idea of, de uh, it was in 1993, with the intention of using it to deter denial of service attacks and spam on a network um, by requiring some computational effort from the service requester. Um, and so Satoshi essentially took this existing technology and took some of these other existing technologies. Uh, at the end of the day, in computer science terms, a blockchain is simply what's referred to as a linked list. Um, and like, that's not anything new. So it's basically lots of uh, existing technologies in cryptography, um, in mathematics, uh, in computer science, kind of cobbled them together and made Bitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. And this effectively allowed proof of work to bootstrap value into the digital world by provably extracting value from the physical world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good way to say it, although that's a really dense sentence. Proof of work yes. bootstraps value into the digital world by provably extracting it from the physical world. 
Um, and as far as resources go, right, a lot of them are not distributed very equally uh, globally across humanity, across barriers. If you think about it, electricity is one thing that's fairly ubiquitous and fairly well distributed, right? That's like one of the most basic infrastructure number one priorities for basically all countries. Um, so that does position it as a sort of an interesting concept. I mean, computing power is like the next level on top of that, right? But um, yeah, electricity is pretty readily available for the most part. Yeah, it kind of allows this new network to begin at an even playing field where anyone mm -hmm. in the world that has a computer can start, uh, you know, providing their proof of work. So since proof of work, uh, we as a community have come to the realization that this approach to consensus building uh, does not scale. It does not uh, it does not jive well with the existing implications of climate change. Uh, and we needed alternatives. So in 2012, uh, a fork of Bitcoin called PeerCoin uh, made this hybrid consensus mechanism that kind of had a component of proof of work, but introduced this new component of proof of stake. Um, again, we talked about a bit of this in the consensus episode, but as a quick reminder, a proof of stake network replaces electricity from that equation. So instead of wagering electricity as the thing that a, a miner would lose, a proof of work network uses the cryptocurrency itself as the trust collateral that the staker, in this case, uh, instead of a miner, would wager uh, in order to show that they have something to lose. So mm -hmm. if uh, they introduce a new block that has fraudulent transaction, they just lose their cryptocurrency that they've staked. Um, and you know, you're effectively creating the same incentive mechanism, but with this much more efficient consensus mechanism, right? right. Like you have uh, no more needlessly burning electricity uh, and you are no longer needed to overpay miners for the real world cost of electricity. So you can actually issue fewer tokens to, uh, to secure the network. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I think important, like the proof of work foundation is important to make the proof or to make the transition to proof of stake, um, more stable, possible, and equally distributed. Starting with a proof of stake model is, is pretty meta, right? It's pretty hard. Like how do you distribute the tokens to people that you can trust that can like support the network by staking them? Um, that That's like a whole complex trust system and governance thing that you have to build. Um, and proof of work is a pretty good starting point. So, um, you know, obviously, if you listen to this podcast, right, we're much more bullish on Ethereum than Bitcoin these days, especially, um, you know, I, I think we've been pretty straightforward about it. And this is a big aspect. Um, Ethereum has kind of a plan and a future that is very relevant to the environmental impact. And this will be a substantial change. And it's not that far away. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is probably going to be proof of work forever, right? They're going to like die on that hill. That's kind of their thing. It's immutable. It doesn't change. And um, that's, I think, one of the reasons that one of the issues that we have with Bitcoin, right? One of the reasons that we're not uh, particularly bullish on uh, that crypto of all the others. Yeah. And, and, uh, the the idea of uh, you know starting with proof of work and moving to proof of stake is one that the Ethereum community uh, started with because uh, of the reasons that you mentioned. There are a few others. There have been a few others that have since uh, begun with proof of stake, but 
Um, Ethereum is right now in the middle of its transition. So right now, the uh, proof-of-work miners continue to secure the network, but the proof-of-stake, uh, uh, what's called the beacon chain, has already begun. So you, uh, if you go over to something like Coinbase now, you can, uh, you'll likely see there that you can help stake toward Ethereum. They call it ETH2 on there. Um, but this is sort of like the middle right now where we have both, um, uh, we have both the proof of work, um, miners that are still securing the network. We have this new chain that has already begun the issuance of staking. Um, and right now the current estimate is between Q1 and Q2 of 2020. So between something like six to 10 months, um, we will have the final merge where we will no longer need the proof of work side of the equation. We will be 100% on proof of stake. Uh, and that's the point at which Ethereum will drop down to about 99.95% uh, less energy usage uh, than what it currently uses. So keep in mind, again, we're talking all about Ethereum, but given the the landscape of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, that means all of DeFi, all of NFTs, um, and all of the tokens and projects and DAOs and everything that's kind of built and proliferated uh, off of Ethereum then becomes, essentially we get to stop having this conversation mm -hmm. uh, and I can stop, you know, having to but, talk about how great Ethereum is and have a big old asterisk there that says, but yeah. energy usage. Um, but don't we still need, Ethereum's the world's computer, right? So don't we still need miners to like, compute some stuff to like send information into the ledger and like yeah so the so the way that uh in when we fully switch over to the proof of stake network there will still be um nodes uh, in the same sense that you have like your miner does the work of of mining the currency and is a node that can interact with the blockchain um right. so there will still be staking nodes but the hardware requirements for it are uh, down to like the cost of a Raspberry Pi uh, or a very basic computer. So it is effectively the equivalent of any other um, network, any other like the internet, right? Like you can think of it similar to an HTTP request in the way that like, yes, you need a computer that sort of facilitates this, but there's not this additional component that's job is to just literally burn electricity. Gotcha. Okay. So there's still nodes that are still using computing power to maintain the network, but yeah, it's... Yeah, hence the like point zero okay. zero five or whatever it is. Right. Uh, We're still processing still something. Use. Yeah, I right. see. Okay, that makes sense. It's two separate components. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, um, I yeah. mean, like, it's it's worth trying to understand how this compares to other industries, right? Because um, it's it's pretty neat. Like, well, although it feels like forever now that uh, that we've been talking about this. Um, six to 10 months away, right? Like how do we compare to other industries? Um, and so there's, there's two sides to this, right? Like on the one side, there is how do we figure out what the cost of emissions are in like the centralized financial world? Yes, Ethereum will en encompass a lot more than just, you know, DeFi, um, but we could use the the subset of CFI as a comparison to DeFi. Um, and this is kind of hard to calculate, right? Because uh, Ethereum, you, you've got, you've got, um, you know, general estimates that you can put together around like tero terawatts and, and hashes, like the hash rate, and just come up with an idea there. But like, you know, banking has, uh, yeah, branches, 
um, offices, employees, waste, building construction, uh, all of this stuff, right? Um, Bitcoin Magazine did put together a detailed article recently where they attempted to break this down um, and come up with something of an estimate of like what the centralized financial system uh, burns in terms in terms of carbon emissions. Um, and their number they were arguing for is that Bitcoin, not even just Ethereum, but like Bitcoin alone emits less than 5% of the carbon that the legacy financial sectors do. Again, it, I, it, these are hard numbers and that we'll put a link in the description. Lofty, but yeah, I, I see what you mean when you start stacking up like all the building and like all the power that's used to like power all of the business that takes place through all the support chains and all this stuff that like Bitcoin kind of like cuts out of the equation, you know? Um, yeah. And given this yeah. is Bitcoin magazine, obviously you got to take this with a bit of a biased grain of salt. But well, I think true. just the the argument there and um, like seeing that breakdown does sort of help you realize what the difference here means. And knowing that uh, Ethereum is is already a bit less than uh, Bitcoin and will be significantly less, um, it kind of just gets me even more excited about the proof of stake merge because um, for anyone that has sort of poo-pooed uh, DeFi as saying that it's bad for the environment. Um, even if, you know, l let's just ignore any of the current costs of CFI uh, and compare it like when the proof of stake merge happens, it, it becomes so negligible that um, if, if energy consumption is your concern, like you should be um, morally obligated at that point to go learn about DeFi and understand this new, like highly efficient um, more eco-friendly financial system. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting way to frame it. Um, if, if all this comes true and the merge goes as smooth as we hope it will, then uh, yeah, future looks bright. Um, important to note as well that some of these other like comparables, right? Fortune 500 companies, a lot of them have pretty uh, long-term trajectories in terms of being carbon neutral, right? Like 2035, 2040, these aren't uncommon numbers to hear. I think 2040 is the year that Amazon has said they hope to be carbon neutral. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, so I don't know the about... numbers on how deep they are, uh, you know, how carbon uh, positive are they? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but, but it does kind of give you the sense that like... Um, Arguing that you aren't interested in learning about Ethereum because there's like this six month waiting period where it's currently burning a little more electricity. Like, I'm uh, compared to you know 2040, and again, we're, we're comparing apples and oranges here, right? We're talking about Amazon and, and the Ethereum network, but like, this is sort of giving you an idea that um, when you have this like global network technology, people are incentivized to uh, improve that. And um, proof of stake has been in the cards for a while, and a lot of really smart people have been working on trying to get us to, um, yeah. the, you know, closer to this carbon neutral. Um, uh, one additional point here, I mean, like, I think we got to talk a little bit about uh, in the DAOs episode how Ethereum is a sec essentially this platform for building open public goods and these um, these global um, like incentive mechanisms or organizations, um, we are likely at a point very soon where uh, post-merge, 
we will be approaching carbon neutral within the Ethereum ecosystem and may even then pass into carbon negative. Um, projects like the Klima DAO, uh, that's K-L-I-M-A, we'll put a link in the description. Uh, they are building this, uh, essentially it's a global incentive mechanism to purchase carbon credits and remove them from the market, um, which would therefore increase the price for companies to continue burning carbon, um, which would then force them to move toward uh, more um, uh, more clean alternatives much quicker. So again, this is a new uh, a new technology that allows for building new incentive mechanisms. And when we all can collectively agree that like climate uh, climate change is bad, <laughs> then I think there's a ton of incentive globally uh, to figure out what we can do to to fix that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I always like to think about the incentives behind mining and the, the quest for the cheapest power possible. I think that's starting to align with a lot of green incentives, right? The big outlier for a long time was China. That's been making headlines recently as they've cracked down more on mining operations. Um, and that's because China burns a lot of coal and they also provide really cheap power. So that is really bad for the environment. But now that those mining operations are shut down and having to go elsewhere, when you start looking globally at cheap power, you know, places like Iceland start to pop up where it's all geothermic. There's like a huge surplus of electricity because they use the natural heat from living on a freaking volcano. Plus, it's really cold there. So you have all sorts of options in terms of heat distribution. Um, that's a very green solution that also ends up aligning with the economic solution. And I think in aggregate over time, that's going to be more and more commonplace. So even for chains like Bitcoin that are very much uh, into proof of work for the foreseeable eternity, um, there's, there's options there, right? Some solar-powered Bitcoin farms. You ready for it, Kevin? You heat your greenhouse with your Bitcoin miners. Now we're going full circle, baby, all right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off of that, um, th there, you know, in hydroelectric or in solar, um, you have these situations where you might have excess energy, and you know, with with solar, you can't just store that easily. Like you, you could sure purchase like a ton of batteries, but it's not as simple as like with oil or coal, you can just leave it in a warehouse. Mm -hmm. So um, with things that are renewable, you can actually then use. Uh, that excess energy to um, store that in the form of Bitcoin, right? You can use that excess energy to mine Bitcoin with um, something that would otherwise be just discharged um, and then use that as sort of like a, a storage mechanism um, in, the, in the sense that you're storing the value that could therefore then be used to go repurchase energy elsewhere. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's worth noting that like given that uh, renewable energy is cheaper in a global sense. Um, the Bitcoin miners that are, you know, they are able to move to parts of the world where that is the more abundant form of electricity, they will become the more efficient miners. And therefore, um, you know, on a long enough timeline, the more wasteful miners won't be able to compete. Bitcoin mm -hmm. is a more mobile industry than any other, given that like you could just pick up your machines and go elsewhere. You can't really do that with oil, with coal or anything. Mm -hmm. So um, this, yes, this will be a slow process for Bitcoin. Um, but like, again, just to give some numbers um, right now, um, in addition to the 
amount of electricity that Bitcoin burns. Another very important part of this conversation is the actual breakdown of where that electricity is coming from. And again, this is not easy to come up with. Um, you can look at a few different reports. I, as I was looking this up, I saw a report that said that 39% um, of Bitcoin's energy consumption was carbon neutral. Another report said like 50. Another report said 70. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is like a choose your own adventure here. Um, yeah. But to give you some more perspective, uh, the U.S. currently uses about 30.5% 30 30 sustainable um, energy. So like even the worst estimates for Bitcoin is already um, we, we've already surpassed the United States uh, and China is 15 percent uh, uh, sustainable energy. Mm. So, again, like um, as as much as it is, uh, you know, it is a, a problem and, and it will take a while for for Bitcoin to become better and better. Um, it's it's kind of already surpassed a lot of of pretty large nation states. Right. There, there's like this weird, I don't, it's not quite cognitive dissonance, but there's an unfair um, extremity applied to Bitcoin in terms of pointing out like, well, the standard is that it should be carbon neutral. So like it feels really bad and terrible. But when you look at some of these major countries like China being less than 15% renewable, that's pretty rough. Even America being less than a third at 30.5%. Um, yeah, Bitcoin's at least on par, slightly ahead of the United States in that regard. So when you look at it more in that context, in a in a comparable sense, um, yeah, it's it's making progress and it's kind of on target by a global standard, right? Yeah, and like I think the final point I want to leave this on is that um, uh, narratives matter, right? Um, so even if it turns out that in, in the next few years that like Bitcoin becomes this, you know, potential like source for um, pushing us toward renewables even more so. Um, the average person's not going to sit through a 25, 30 minute presentation uh, to learn the nuance of crypto consensus mechanisms, right? Like mm -hmm. our listeners are, are going to be a little bit more educated on this, but um, the average person isn't. And so it's worth remembering and recognizing that Bitcoin is going to have an uphill battle uh, against climate change, right? Like, um, even if the the Bitcoiners of the world that are sort of like chanting the mantra of like proof of work or die, um, even if they can, uh, you know, make this long case for like why it's not so bad, Ethereum is going to be on the other side of proof of stake merge. Mm -hmm. um, and we can finally just exit the conversation and be like, listen, go look over here. Like uh, we have a, a, a picture that's worth pulling up that shows like the, the relative energy consumption per transaction between Bitcoin, uh, ETH proof of work, and then finally ETH proof of stake. Uh, and it is a staggering difference. Um, and yeah, it, it's going to be nice to not even have to really have those conversations. Yeah, I, uh, I am inclined to agree with you. I, I know what you mean in terms of proof of stake uh, for Ethereum has been talked about, rumored, I guess, promised for so long. And um, it's kind of understandably taken a long time. And I think it's been sort of fair three or four years ago for naysayers to go like, yeah, well, when's that going to happen? What about right now, man? And for that to just be gone and um, yeah, for us to be the screw relative to the leaning tower of Pisa, 
Yeah, dude. I don't know. I, I think that's pretty exciting. That makes me hopeful for Ethereum and... Um, I don't know. Yeah. This is a tough one because I, I hear I hear this one brought up time and time again. And unfortunately, it is hard to respond in one or two tweets succinctly uh, the counter argument to this because there is some truth to it, right? Like it could always be more efficient and um, efficiency when it comes to computing power and data storage and all that stuff does really matter. So it is a fair criticism, but it becomes an unfair standard that gets applied and I think when you at least start with trying to explain this idea of where we started with collateral and risking something in the proof of work mechanism, um, that starts to at least get people's attention and get them to try to understand um, the reasoning behind why things are the way that they are. That part is not arbitrary, right? There's yeah, a reason absolutely. behind all of it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm glad to to have, you know, an episode now that I can point to when I'm having these conversations with friends. Um, uh, and, you know, it's we're not going to get everyone uh, won over. Right. Like some people are going to have to wait until the proof of stake merged to to see the headlines that are like, oh, by the way, NFTs aren't a problem anymore. You can like them now. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I think this is a good topic. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure, Kevin. I think this is where we cut it, and we'll catch you guys next time on the next episode of The New Blocks. Mm -hmm.